Hello and welcome to the season one finale of the Wait I Know You podcast. Happy holidays and happy new year to you. A few housekeeping items before we start today's show. Uh, first, as mentioned, this is the final episode of season one. I'm most likely going to take off all of January 2022 and hopefully we'll be back in February filming new episodes for you. So stay tuned. Please like, subscribe, ring that bell, follow, and all those other things that the algorithm likes. Second, my guest today was on an iPhone with some spotty internet. Uh, so apologies when the audio and video dips in quality. Thank you for being patient. And with that, let's chat with Caitlin Me, aka the Preservation Peach. Enjoy. Welcome to the Wait I Know You podcast, season one, episode 11. My name is Nick Rounds, and I will be your host. My next guest was grown in California, but she was picked by Georgia and became a preservation peach. She's been a preservationist and an architectural historian going on five years. And when she's not going full Karen on house flippers, disrespecting historic homes, she's playing with her blue healer, Tallulah, and climbing rocks. Kayla and me, wait. I know you. How are you? <laughs> I know you too. That was the best intro I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> well, I handwrite them because they're fun. Uh, so I just like to you're summarize a couple. Well, thank you. Yes. How are you? I'm fabulous. I don't have to work tomorrow. <laughs> that makes uh, shit. No, I have to work tomorrow too. <laughs> oh. It's all right. It's I, I took a I took a huge vacation. I went home for for a week, so it's all good. But we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about you. So um, you're, a, you're a historic preservationist. And I'd love to chat about you about that because not a lot of people know about that or that they can actually get paid to look at houses and be an old house nerd, I guess. Nerd. Yeah. Um, so before we, we jump into your actual work, uh, I'm very curious. Uh, one does not simply fall in love with old houses overnight. Um, what are some of your early experiences that made you fall in love with historic buildings? My origin story. Yes. Um, so I think I always was interested in old things. And since like really thinking about my origin story, I realized like I was having a conversation with my mom and she and I were reminiscing on when I would drag her to antique stores as like a 10 year old mom, please, there's one going there. And I was like obsessed with little women and like just kind of like period films and all this stuff. And then, um, but I think the building aspect came about because so um, my grandfather was an immigrant from England and didn't have enough money to go to architecture school. Um, so he became a draftsman for chevron right there in benicia you know and they lived there um for a little bit to lula's whining you're gonna ignore her that's that's probably the reason why i put her in the intro because i knew that uh yeah. denoting that there's a healer around anybody that owns a healer will probably relate to the fact that healers are very high energy and need a lot of attention give me space i hate this okay um, anyhow, so he uh, he designed my childhood home in Marin County, in Corte Madera, and um, my granny and her like 
eight siblings literally built it and it was a really cool mid-century house and like it had this thing it was designed around a courtyard it was really revolutionary for somebody who never went to like formal architecture school or whatever um and then you know fast forward i think i was always like you know i lived in um sacramento and i'd go up to placerville and i was always really interested in history and old things and I noticed like the buildings, oh, well, that's old. You should be able to do something with that. And what is that? And then I started researching it and I was actually interning in an archive in college. Um, and I realized, sorry, public historians, like it's really hard to get a job in public history and in museums and archives because there's a lot of volunteers. And um, so there's just no market for them. And I discovered historic preservation and like went for it. You're horrible. I'm gonna kick you out. Do you wanna do you wanna take a quick break or are you fine with just having her be there? <laughs> I wonder because I'm like, I could I could shut one door. Yeah, let me let me kick her out because you yeah. are especially whiny today. Okay, be back. We are back. Uh so you were you were saying about um your historic origin story, as it were. Yes. You... So um my dad sold our childhood home in Corte Madera later on and I went by it and somebody had completely fucked it up like they turned they it had this really cool um wraparound porch like l-shaped porch it was fantastic it had a beautiful view of the bay like it was up in the hills you know it's Mount Tam and everything and um they enclosed the porch and made it look like some um Cape Cod shingle bullshit and I was like never again <laughs> this is my mission in life now <laughs> yeah you will never be slighted ever again um oh, it happens there, all the time though <laughs> <laughs> there's there's been some amazing american architects uh all over the country especially on the east coast um and a couple in california as well um are there any architects that you particularly are really in love with in, in terms of Georgia or California or elsewhere? Um, and can you expand on why? Man. Okay. So, uh, I was, I'm looking at my, um, one of my most prized degrees, if, if you will, my induction into the Frank Furness order of the mustache, uh, Frank Furness, Frank Furness and Louis Sullivan are like two of my favorites. And one of the things when I was in school that, um, I was taught when I was in my history of American architecture class was that like there were architects that were designing things that were fucking mind blowing and very like, like forward thinking and in the late to mid 1800s. Like, do you have, exam do you have he, examples of that? There's a, like Frank Furness, Louis Sullivan, especially. So, and it's like back in the day, there wasn't really like, you didn't go to college and be an architect like you were really rich if you went to like Bauhaus or both arts or something in another country and like studied architecture but usually it's like it's crafts it's craftspersonship like craft what i don't i'm trying to be more inclusive with my terminology but it's blah. um like you would so frank Furness and louis sullivan and i think hh H. richardson not to be confused with H.H. Holmes, the serial killer. <laughs> Though both have things going on in Chicago. <laughs> what, what has been hilarious is every time I'm talking about something specific to somebody and somehow cults and serial killers almost always seem to sneak into these podcasts. 
which makes you laugh yeah. every single time. But continue. Yes. Like, how amazing would it have been if they didn't demolish H.H. Holmes' murder house? Like, architecturally, how did that work? Like, he had human shoots and stuff like that. Like, there's a landmark sign in Chicago where it used to be, but it's not there anymore. True crime nerds would be all over that shit. But, um, so, Frank Lloyd Wright was an apprentice for these people. So, like, you see Frank Lloyd Wright stuff, and you see some of like his really crazy kind of steampunky looking organic like architecture motifs in his architecture. And that's totally Louis Sullivan. And sometimes you see that like big, so there's one building in my mind in particular in San Francisco that's a Frank Lloyd Wright that has like this big like rounded arch entryway. That's H.H. Richardson. Like the so they're all kind of like mirrored after each other, but um, Louis Sullivan did the, uh, I always want to say Palace of Fine Arts because I'm from San Francisco, uh, but it's not. It's the Philadelphia, like, Fine Arts Museum or something. It's fucking epic. Like, you walk in and you're like, <laughs> steampunk. Like, the crazy, the, they have these, like, Scots candelabra things that are all, like, brass with, like, crazy, like, and the tiles are all wild, like contrasting colors. And it's amazing because it's a domed what? roof and it's this crazy blue with like stars and shit all over it. What's the name of it again? Sorry. It's the Philadelphia like fine arts museum or something. Yeah. Like if you could pull, oh my God. Like I have a picture of me hugging it and I thought it was locked and somebody walked out of it. And um, my face, when I realized I could walk through the front door, was like, get out of my way. I'm going in there. And it's just like controlling myself in those type of situations. It's like, whoa. It's, it's probably one of my favorite, like, buildings in the, in the nation. In the nation. And then there's another bank that Louis Sullivan did. Louis Sullivan, at the end of his career, was like a drunk and all this stuff. And like. Is it like, this one or is it different? Let me see. Oh yeah, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. It might be a different one. I think it's a different one. Well, that's one of the rooms, maybe. That's one of the rooms. I wonder where it, they take terrible pictures of this because there's like this burnt orange that's like this epic color. I can send you a picture or something too. I don't okay. know, but. Cause yeah, I took I was, pictures. Yeah. I was trying to do the old, the old show and tell since you were talking about it. I know okay. the Louis Sullivan, you could look up a Louis Sullivan bank in Missouri. I can't remember. It might be in St. Louis, but the Louis, Louis Sullivan did these series of banks in like, but fuck nowhere. And they're crazy. Like this one in Missouri, I it's like on my bucket list. Um, when you walk in, there's like a person there that's like, do you, are you here for like the bank? Are you here? for the bank you know like <laughs> so many people that are like architecture nerds like me are like holy shit this is a louis sullivan building and it's just really neat like yeah oh goodness i'm charging it i have to keep my computer awake to charge my phone let's see oh yeah look at in it yeah that's the bank and it's like it's i learned in school Pictures never do architecture justice. You got to see it with your naked eyeballs. Absolutely have to. Because the scale 
of this stuff, they don't do it anymore because it's too expensive <laughs> and nobody right. can do it. They don't have masons that just on hand that like know how to do crazy, like artistic shit like that anymore. Yeah. No, nobody would do it for that small of a building either. Like that's uh, a multi-million dollar, like hundreds of millions of dollars, if not in the billions that they would want to actually do it. But like a small tiny town bank like that, they would, nobody would ever do that again. Like they're like, we're going to put a bank of America in and we're going to get a prized architect and like the best materials to like make it, make it like a work of fucking art. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, related to that subject, there's so many historic buildings that start out as one thing and then can get converted to something else. Like uh, when I lived in Irvine, um, there was a really awesome vintage uh, film theater that had been converted to a church. And even just going to the lobby was really awesome. Um, But yeah, I I love when things get converted to being something else like the uh like here in seattle the rite aid on capitol hill i think it might used to be a movie theater because it basically has a marquee out front cool yeah so i love when stuff gets reclaimed like that and is still like literally there was a um i'm in this group on facebook called historic preservation professionals and i haven't really been on it lately today i was looking at it and you know it's christmas time so like people are talking about hallmark and everything the nerds that are like my 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 peers or whatever are talking about how in this one hallmark movie they they're like they literally said reuse guys they said adaptive reuse they use those words like that's how <laughs> can, you, like, oh God, can you expand on what it, it. <laughs> <laughs> can you expand yeah. on why that's important so um and i think a lot of people like think of preservation as like museums house museums or whatever and like those have their place and everything and um but they're not sustainable for the long term usually if you think about it like the most relevant building is the one being used so like i really you know and it rubs people the wrong way because i'm kind of like really open to like adaptive reuse or adaptive use or reuse of historic buildings for like whatever you can dream um it's great as long as you just don't fuck up the building like you know like uh the coolest stuff is and people don't realize that like it that's one of the biggest things i have to try and convince people of like i promise you it's gonna be cool to keep this aspect of what it used to be like and people are like nah who cares and like somebody's gonna think it's cool and then if you get rid of it nobody's gonna think it's cool because like regret the national trust says the regret goes one way you know like you don't like not do something and be like, man, I wish we would have tore it out. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I, I love it seeing like there's a um I'm like trying to think of good adaptive reuse. I love gas stations. I have a thing for gas stations used for anything. I don't give a shit what you put in a gas station. Even if you put a gas station back in a gas station, like there's one there's two, three actually in Macon that I'm like actively pursuing businesses to go into. Literally, like there was a plant, a hipster plant store. They've got a location in Savannah and a bunch in like St. Louis and like Ohio and stuff. And I was like, I emailed them. I was like, hey, I know a gas station in Macon. <laughs> For context, you do live in Macon, Georgia. Um, yes. 
Yes. You've and you also the, the middle of Georgia. The middle of Georgia. Um, and you've also lived in Houston, Texas as well, and done work in both of those places. Um, can you expand, uh, can you expand on like some of the things that are kind of special about both Macon and Houston? I, I guess you've spent more time in Georgia, but what's special about Georgia in terms of architecture and like some of the things that they're facing, uh, historic preservation wise. So Georgia, um, is unique and like, this is, I, I'm like, I could go on for days as a side note as to like how the South is so much co- and like, like only your people and you can like know this. Don't tell anybody because our property like is really cheap. <laughs> and I don't, like I have a cool house for nothing. Like, Well, any, anybody that lives touching water or near a major metropolitan city knows that rent sucks or, uh, housing prices suck but if you live out in the cuts in the suburbs it's not nearly as bad but that's oh no i don't think you realize i live in a really cute historic town like i could walk downtown there's all this cute stuff happening all the time and like people even in georgia they're like ew why do you want to move to make it and granted there's a lot of crime we have um you know like is that a gunshot or a firework very often like (laughs) (laughs) Like we have problems with pedestrian safety in a lot of our roads and stuff like that. And there's a ton of white. Um, But I think the majority of the houses and buildings period in Macon are all historic. So 50 years old or older and um, fucking rad. And the history here. And like, even so, like when I first moved to Georgia to go on like a slight tangent, um my aunt who's like very progressive and lives in southern california and stuff i was shocked i was like i'm gonna go to grad school in georgia and she's like why it's like impoverished you're never gonna find a job there's a bunch of backwoods yokels like all stuff i was like i don't i don't think so i think that's not true and i came here and i was like y'all y'all georgia is blue okay we flipped that shit well i didn't flip it but people i a lot of basically everybody i know flipped it you know, and um, like the, I make in is blue, like there's little islands of blue throughout. It's a very progressive state, um, well-rounded even. It's just, we're not represented. I think that's very, like progressive people aren't well represented in politics. And I mean, that's like Texas too, so. Right, I mean, there's there's good people in every state regardless of political leaning, Um, but even with political leaning, there's good people in every state Um, and you know, uh, I have good friends in Florida. I've interviewed one of them. I've known him for a long time and it's really easy to make fun of Florida. Very easy to make fun of Florida. I think he was on your podcast. He was. Yes. He's he's one of my good friends. Um, but yeah, I mean like he keeps me grounded about Florida in the same way that I keep him grounded about Seattle and California or Washington state and California. I'm just like, whatever you see on TV, it's not nearly as bad as you think it is. And frankly, that's usually the way it is in Florida as well. It's just like, uh, unless there's bath salts and meth. Yeah. (laughs) Unless there's bath salts and meth, it's not, it's not as bad as you think it is. Otherwise if bath salts and meth are in the equation, all right, it's probably pretty bad. So, uh, and sorry, just set us off the rails there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, but there's like but, the yeah, uh, back to Georgia to kind of get more to your question. Like Georgia architecturally is really unique because it um, it there's a lot that just describe describes and this is anywhere like there there describes the history 
um, of the place and Georgia's unique and there's a lot of stuff around that like speaks to that in the built environment there's a good sense of place Houston was interesting whew, for so many reasons but <clears throat> Houston didn't have zoning laws and so it's kind of like a double-edged sword where I thought that was a great thing because then you can use historic buildings just like we were talking about for anything and that's cool but there are codes of ordinances that just designate like aesthetics and um, a lot of folks are like oh well historic preservation or, or hysterical preservation they're gonna like don't put this on the national register don't buy a house in a historic district because they're gonna tell you what color you can paint your house and like how tall your grass has to be. that's like never true almost like savannah charleston maybe annapolis like the original like historic districts they have some pretty strict stuff like materials and stuff but most places it's like just don't knock the fucking building down please <laughs> but you've and keep your seen. wood windows <laughs> It, yeah, that's one of the things that amuses me about watching your page is like anytime you come in, come into close contact with just people destroying stuff they didn't need to or, or didn't have to. So, because I see yeah. it as like it's it's such a waste of money. Like they're wasting, like the house next door to me. I'm in a local historic district, so there are like actual permit codes and everything you have to do. This guy. The house was like, he could have turned around, cleaned it up, patched the stucco on the outside, gave it a new paint job, and flipped that sucker in a couple of months. And made good money because it's the only two-story house on the block. So it's, it's, it's cool as shit. Like, it had original bathrooms, like, all kinds of, like, it just untouched for its over 100 years. It was built in 1915. And he has just, like, come on. And then I was just thinking, since I said wood windows, just want to get this out here um, before we go on. Uh, only 10% of your energy, folks, goes out your windows. So don't replace them with vinyl. Because those only last 10 years, and it's a billion-dollar market for a reason. Because they're crap. And I never have... These are my original windows from the hundred, like when my house was built in 1917. And if they break, I could just fix them. Heat goes up and out, y'all. Anyhow. <laughs> <They're>, insulate <clears> those <throat> roofs. <laughs> yeah, insulate the roofs, insulate the walls, get good weather stripping. Don't even, you don't even have to insulate the walls. It's really just like up and out. Mm. Yeah. Um, so related glass, there's a term that I only know because of you, and it obviously amuses the hell out of me. What is cat butt glass, and why do you love it so much? Because You so started hoarding it? It is actually, yes. Um, I don't even know. A few years ago, I saw this pattern, and I was like, God, that's really cool. And I was like, I didn't know what like its actual name was, so I just called it cat butt glass. Cause it looks like a cat's booty hole. <laughs> and I have ruined so many people. Like in the professional field, even like I'll have people message me on my Instagram and be like, like a picture of it, and they'll be like, 
all I can think of is cat blood glass. I'm like, good, good. I'm glad that's branding. I need a shirt and a hat and like all kinds of shit that say cat butt glass. Is there an official name for it as far as like what it's supposed to be called? Florentine. Yeah, it's Uh, Florentine glass. It's a press pattern for privacy. Um, Here it is, y'all. I'm like, yeah, I can see it. Clear and everything. Just look at it. Yeah. I love this stuff. My mom actually got me this at an antique store. Like, people know now. You know, like, they're, like, people collect, like, fucking ducks or something. I collect cat butt glass. And so people know I love this shit so much that they're like, Caitlin, is this cat butt glass? Yes. How much is it? It's only $35 for this whole window of cat butt glass, which, like, a small pane of it like this is, like, $20. So, yeah. And I have no idea when I'm going to use this. Uh, I don't know. Like, even... When I bought my house, um, I did my final walkthrough and I went into the bathroom and I like peeked out the window and I was like, oh my fucking God, it has cap of glass. I had no idea. Um, And it was like a gift from my house. Like, how could you not like buy a house without cap? And my real estate agent who was with me was like, what the fuck is she talking about? (laughs) But yeah, I... I love you, Cat Blood Glass. <laughs> there, yeah, I can go on. And a new romance is born. We'll just have a... You don't. You, you don't need to touch. Okay, that was that was a little bit weird, but I'll, I'll let that one go. Touch, touch, touch the cat light. <laughs> too much. Too much. Um, so you already kind of touched on already that you recently purchased a home, your first home. Congratulations. Uh, a historic home and historic district. Yes. Uh, yes. And it goes without saying that a, owning a historic home, especially a fixer upper, is a lot of work. Um, can you explain some of the battles you've had to fight with remodeling it yourself? I wish, um, like, uh, I could share what I'm looking at. My ladder over here, blue tape on there. The like, like I just actually recently opened. Uh, it depends, like, uh, buying an old house is not for the faint of heart. And regularly when I talk to my neighbors, like my neighbor across the street, for instance, I was talking to him and I love him. He's from, um, New York. And so he's just so no bullshit. And I, I love that about New Yorkers and everything. And, um, he's like, I hate brick houses. I'm like, but your house is brick. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, then why the fuck did you buy a brick house? (laughs) (laughs) Well, then he paints the brick. And I'm like, well, it's still brick? Like, don't buy a brick house. Okay. And so then I think about stuff like that. So when you're, like, shopping for an old house, I think, like, if you don't like, if you like a porch, don't buy a ranch house. Because ranch houses don't have porches. You know, like buy a craftsman like mine I have a massive porch like it's huge I love it but I love porches um and like old windows and stuff so I would have never bought a house with you know replacement windows um or at least any like any no I just never would have bought a house with replacement windows um it's like and then 
what I find is it's not the old original stuff that's wrong with the house. Like usually that needs some maintenance. Like uh, some of my glazing on the outside, like the putty that holds my glass panes in might need to be touched up, some paint, some stucco on the outside has some cracks. Um, I've got some cracking and like all my walls are plaster for the most part. And so there's like the house is old, so it settles and there's like hairline cracks. Like you can get plaster, you can use plaster repairs and like fix that up real quick. Um, the stuff that I want to blow my brains out is from the 90s and the early 2000s. Like I have taken off, I'm going to find, I, I hope that Focal Point Inc. is out of business at this point because they made god-awful foam like classical faux architectural details like the medallions in the ceiling i thought it was wood and i took a freaking multi-tool and just sawed it in half and cracked it off the wall because it's foam <laughs> it's shit like the drywallers and i'm like was the plaster bad so they took the plaster in the ceiling down and then put the drywall up but the drywallers didn't cut it right. So there's like plaster wall, drywall ceiling. There's a gap like this. So now I have to build back all, and I'm like, oh my fucking God. And you, what happens is it's like old houses are never the same. Like when I would do no restoration or something, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to have this process or this is how I'm going to approach this specific type of project. No, 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 no. Like, it always they have their own personalities like my house is a they like i it sometimes it feels kind of like because they're like living breathing things to me so i'm like okay it's kind of has a feminine vibe but it also kind of has like a masculine vibe to it in a certain way which is very like true of myself and i'll be like you know i talk to it you got it's like cars you know like you're working on it you just gotta be like like so you become, the house tells you what it wants, is what I'm trying to say, when you buy an old house. And you just have to kind of know that up front, that it has a mind of its own, and you just have to talk to it and find a compromise. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny you say that. Um, <clears throat> uh, I moved in the same room that my best friend did. Like, we literally, like, she was moving out and I was moving in, and she styled it way different than I did and vice versa. Like she did things I would never think of. And I did things that she would never think of, but it's funny. Like if you actually care about a space, how you will uh, pay attention to it or customize it in the way that you think will make it just feel better or look better. I mean, there's an entire industry built on that. Uh, it's called HGTV, <laughs> but you know, like that's part of the fun of, <laughs> sorry, did I trigger you? <laughs> Cause I said a bad word, <laughs> but, but you know, it's just like, that's, that's part of the fun is just, um, taking his face, making it your own, but, or, but also just interpreting his face and, and making it unique to the way that you see it. So. Yeah. You get to know it. Like when you spend time with it like that, like, what was I doing? And I was like, huh, I, like, I'll just regularly walk through my house. You spend time with it. And I'm like, one time I was going to bed and I just happened to look down to the right for some reason. And I noticed that the, there was holes in the door frame 
where the door swung open the opposite direction at one point. And I was like, oh, huh. That's all like being a preservationist is, is just kind of like noticing things, details about buildings that you're like, I wonder what that means. Or there's like holes where there used to be curtains on the outside of my French doors when right now they're on the inside. And I wouldn't have known that unless I was like, these things need a new coat of paint. Um, beyond your own personal dwelling, is there any, uh, historic home or architecture that you seem to know every piece of detail about down to like, just the, the most minor of details, like a, a specific place that you've studied that you really know a lot about. Hardman farm in North Georgia. Like I can see it in my mind. And the crazy thing is it has a twin. Uh, Hardman Farm, I studied historic interiors, and um, Hardman Farm is this beautiful farmhouse that, I'm sorry, Joanna Gaines, your farmhouses are shit compared to this, okay? This is an 1870s Italianate farmhouse on brawling property. It's beautiful. Get married there, have a party there. It's owned by the state, so it's public, it's museum. You can check it out. It's people in Georgia usually know it. And of course, like pictures never, they know it because of the Indian mound across the street that you stopped on right there for like a second. So like the Native Americans in Georgia, um, they ha were like, I'm sure there's an archeology span term for it and I'm gonna do a terrible job, but like they were mound, they did mound, they, they did mounds. So there's mounds like that all over Georgia. And that's one of them. And these assholes put a fucking gazebo on the top of it in the 1800s and that's that's what people know and then i'm like hey hey georgian you've lived here all your life you know about that gazebo have you seen the farm across the street they're like no i'm like <laughs> go check it out it's so badass like and it's um <laughs> it's it's like they set it up to where you can see how the the architecture is sustainable building like the cupola at the top, the little like thingy at the top um, there, it's called a cupola and it has windows and so that hot air can go up and out of, of it. So it rises, right? So that's what I'm saying. Like if you want your hot air to stay in your house, like insulate your, your ceiling. Um, and it has its own solar panel farm. It has, now it has a, a, a living, like a, an interactive garden there's like a touch garden they teach you about because it was a farm um there's a dairy barn there's all these outbuildings there and it's like the it's all like totally crap the the um Nichols family who first um owned it who had it built um it was their summer home because their uh captain Nichols wife was assaulted by union soldiers and um, we don't really know the details of like what was wrong with her mentally, but she had mental health issues afterwards. And so, you know, Victorian era people were like all about fresh air. And so they were like, get up in the mountains, get you some fresh air. She'll be fine. <laughs> and so she was not, but still, um, she ended yeah. up in the asylum. <laughs> fresh like, air and cocaine oh will fix all your problems apparently. Oh yeah, just take a little, you know, it's fine. There was, we studied, it was interesting in one of the upstairs bedrooms um, that was supposed to be Kate's, there's a hook on either side of the um, 
there's a hook on either side of the um, bedroom, her bedroom, and nobody knows what they were for. It was obviously put in there because plaster, usually if you put a hole in plaster after it's been set, it'll crack eventually. So we know that these were put there when the plaster was wet. It was like set in the plaster. And there's rumor that it was like for a hammock. So if Kate supposedly had fits and they were like swinger, like, I don't know. There We can't find anything to like corroborate that, but you know, that's a cute story. But it's like, there, that's the kind of stuff that's like, I love about old buildings where you can kind of tell the history Anna, um, Anna was their daughter and Anna Ruby was their daughter. And there's a waterfall there that's really beautiful named Anna Ruby Falls. Captain Nichols named it after his daughter. Um, and like their house was originally in Milledgeville. So the twin was there and I got to visit it. Um, and it's like a mirror image of each other. It's privately owned. And this is just to show you all what the South is like. So we went there for a field trip. And this woman, it was freezing because this is a house built in the 1850s because it's an older house. And I don't know that they have like central heating and air, um, but it was a it's beautiful house, freezing, freezing cold in there. And um, this woman had hot coffee. She had like, she gave us all little souvenirs of pepper jelly that she had homemade to take home. There were like cookies and donuts and stuff from the local bakery that's like so good. She like was just hospitable, like really amazing. But it, it was neat because to see that. And Milledgeville, just for a little bit of history, was the original capital of Georgia before the Civil War and also home of what's called the Central State um, Hospital, which is where Kate passed away eventually. Um, it was a insane asylum to say the least, because it's a crazy complex of buildings, but yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Hardman Farm. <laughs> well, relate, related to what you're talking about, I mean, I think it's always interesting is just diving into the history of, of historic homes and historic buildings and about things that have happened there, past owners and stuff like that. Um, and I've seen you do some really interesting research on uh, past owners of historic homes and historic buildings. Uh, other than the one you just mentioned, obviously, uh, what are some of the other craziest things that you've stumbled upon through your research? Um, okay. I don't know if it's crazy, but there's, I, I stumble upon because as part of my job, I just, um, so being an architectural historian, there's, a like a little backstory. So there is a federal law called, um, the National Historic Preservation Act was passed in 1966 and part of that section 106 is that like for any federal and most times state funded like project there has to be architectural and um archaeological review so like a certified archaeologist has to go and make sure like no native american burials are there um, in georgia we have a lot of oops there's an enslaved cemetery like formerly there like realign that road buddy go the other direction so like that's kind of the things that they're trying to avoid with that so as a result i will be given like here we're going to put a roundabout here and tell us if there's anything significant in the way and that's when i'm like yeah and i like go in and i'm like okay i'm gonna go do deed research and figure all this stuff out and i found just like 
some wild stories. Like the first, um, one of the first projects I ever researched, I found this amazing mid-century little neighborhood called um, Briar Park Court. And I was actually interviewed on a podcast called Arch- Archive Atlanta about it. Um, don't don't plug other like podcasts on here. How dare you? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, where I go in depth if you're interested in this. But so this guy, Andre Steiner, was a, a, like an urban planner and architect. And he's from Germany. Well, I think Poland originally. Yeah, I think Poland ori- originally. And he um, was a Bauhaus arch- trained architect. And in order to um, save Jews during the Holocaust, he made like a deal with the devil, basically with some SS, uh, not just like some soldiers, that if he could design work camps, they would put people in work camps instead of death camps. So he did that, like all through the war. And then when that was over, he moved to Cuba and then moved to Atlanta and did like all, he did like a bunch of urban planning, but he also designed this, all these little houses in this little court for himself and his friends. And there are these badass contemporary mid-century houses. And I just happened to find them and then got in a fight with uh, engineers over keeping, because there was like a bridge right here they were going to replace and then a creek. And then it was like the little neighborhood. And there's this one house right there that faces the bridge. Um, just to give you an example of like what we deal with is um, like the the house was designed around like an exterior art like landscape there was land you know like it's there was a pool there and so like the view and the trees all that mattered and so when I drew my boundary for what I thought needed to be saved I included trees and this engineer was pissed (laughs) because he was like he said in the meeting he's like what do I care about historic shrubberies or whatever and i'm like and they actually had an arborist go out and see if the trees were historic and they weren't but they had to keep some anyway just because a buffer was so that was cool and then um what was the other one that i uh oh my gosh i had it well i cannot think no it's okay um so you've already kind of touched on this a little bit, uh, but racial justice and preservation are not mutually exclusive, especially in the state of Georgia, as you very well mentioned. Um, can you explain some other ways that uh, you kind of bump into that with your work? And, and yeah, examples we're going of that? there. Yeah. We're going there. Yeah. It's important to we're talk about, there. especially especially yeah. you living and working in the state of Georgia. Because a lot of people ask me too when I tell them I'm a preservationist, or like even just a historian, they're like, what do you think about monuments? And I'm like, oh yeah, like um, my, my, I don't have a canned answer, but like I know that there are monuments out there that have nothing to do with soldiers. Like there's ones about like, um, like Civil War nurses, you know, and stuff like that. So it's like, okay, what's the, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, let's talk about the context. And then at the same time, um, you don't want to totally remove them uh, because, like, they were put largely in the 20s. 
during Jim Crow era, you know, like, and people are like, people that want to keep the monuments there because it's like heritage, like I hear y'all, but at the same time, they weren't really put there like, and then why, you know, you have to like have an open conversation. So uh, related to what you're talking about, I know that uh, Vox did a really good documentary on the daughters of the Confederacy, which uh, erected a lot of those monuments around the Jim Crow era specifically. Oh yeah. Um, And it's, it's really interesting to find out that like, with anything is like when when a group is kind of pushed to the wayside and is reading close to destroy the ways it'll try to rise up in different ways and try to make itself relevant again um yeah it's wild and what that stuff stood for down here was to keep like african americans in their place you know like that's really like when we talk about like why why is it there like and Atlanta is pretty progressive, but down here in Macon, when I first bought my house, everybody was like, ooh, Macon's real racist. And I was like, oh, come on. And um, sure enough, I got down here and um, I, it's still very segregated. Um, I mean, schools didn't really fully integrate until the 70s and 80s here. Like, even though there was a federal, like, they didn't actually physically, seg- like, um, integrate. And the thing is, is like we have, especially in the South, we have all these monuments for like um, Confederate dead and all this stuff. But like, what about for us, for historians, for all of us, for all of us, it needs to be about the full story. And that's kind of like, that's something that people in my field are really bumping up against. And it's like a big mountain to fight, unfortunately, like in sometimes even within our own field. And that gets really crazy to me. Cause I'm like, we're same team. We're same team. Like what? But um, like, you know, uh, I applied for a grant for, I got pulled in on a project here in Jones County um, to get money for a trail and these badass boulders to climb. And there was all these really cool partners involved, historical society. And when I started doing, and they just, they're like, oh, it's Jake's Woods. It's Jake's Woods. And I'm like, well, who's Jake? You know, like, like how, and the the specific grant had a question about like historic significance because it's a big grant, you know, and it has to be regionally significant. And so I'm like, okay, how can I just blow this significance up? You know, and I start doing deep dive and I realized, holy shit, like middle Georgia, Georgia was the wild west, like in the beginning of our country we we're one of the first 13 colonies and i think even georgians forget that and it's like there's some wild shit going on here for the time you know and like so i found out that jacob p hutchings aka jake was a freedman um jones county was once like had some of the like wealthiest land owners that owned tons of slaves like <laughs> I looked at slave records and my little California eyes and brain are like slave fucking records, like unbelievable. And they don't have names. They're just numbers, you know, and there might have an age next to it. And then when you see the age, you're like, try not to cry at work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's um, insane. Um, uh, Yeah. Related to that redlining too, like uh, redlining in, California is absolutely a thing. Uh, Seattle, I have no idea. Seattle and Portland have very bad redlining, uh, especially Portland, especially Seattle. 
Um, when you see why internet sucks or like why buildings suck in a certain part of the neighborhood and then you go back and look at historic maps, you're like, oh, redlining. That's why. Um, can you talk about some of the redlining that's that's present in Georgia? Oh, God. And, it, and like a lot of people in other areas are like, it's just the South. It's just the South. It's everywhere. It's literally everywhere. And I don't know if folks know what redlining is, but like quick, quick history is that um, I think it was a, a lending agency went in all these neighborhoods all over like the country and rated the ability of people um, to pay back loans. This is all bullshit, just so you know. It's bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Like they, people can pay back loans. But really it was like, where are the black people living? Where are the white? And they, um, like there were three colors. It was red, yellow, and um, green. Obviously red was undesirable. Uh, I think playing or something like that. My neighborhood is, was yellow um, because I'm flanked by uh, historically black neighborhoods and um green was obviously very desirable and so when in the 60s when they were doing the highway like eisenhower and the big push to do like an interstate and everything they went right through all those red areas demolished all this stuff and got rid of any and like strategically did this through um the commercial cores of these neighborhoods like i have even looked in macon and tried just by looking at historic aerials to see if the roof lines are different and little shotgun houses are like teeny little things like but then you see like big roof and big roof and big roof and like damn that was a big building and then you look now and it's like a fucking freeway <laughs> like and all of our blight now is there because they're who wants to live backed up to a freeway you know like and like, it's just crazy. Like, so trying to like heal that and like, okay, so it's been done. I love right now a lot of, um, well, there's a lot, it's not a lot. There are a few places that are talking about highway removal. Um, and uh, Detroit and Buffalo are two places that have done it where they've reconstructed like huge land bridges across where there used to be like overpasses and stuff to try and like heal that and bring like beauty and like economic development and stuff back to these neighborhoods where they were taken away because like it's not over it ain't over till it's over um whereas like here it's an uphill battle in macon because um they're they see demolishing these houses as like cleaning them up but then they have a vacant property that just collects garbage for 10 plus years and nobody does anything with it so it's it's i think it's like so what i have learned is in the 60s really from like the end of the civil war to the 60s it the civil rights movement was about voting rights and i feel like what we're looking at now is the civil rights movement because it ain't over like you know especially when people are being shot like black people are being shot for nothing and um like housing is the new right we need to like and having um african-american people that like like having doing whatever is like necessary is like my mission in life right now 
to get that property back in their fucking hands where they like you have somebody who literally grew up there and some asshole like let's pin it on them there's some asshole in florida <laughs> owns it and lets it just be in ours i mean our king's neighborhood was like this and now it's like triple protected by national park service and landmark this and that but that was like a huge 10 20 year battle to get it cleaned up that way there was drugs and murder and blight and all that stuff and now you can go visit it in atlanta and it's like amazing it's like a mecca you know like but here in macon yeah. like and we and we have like little richard is from macon otis redding is from you know all these amazing like artists are from middle georgia um and grew up in these neighborhoods and like it like i could just imagine the uh like helplessness like what do you you're supposed to do you can't even own your own property you can't even own your neighborhood there's no community pride because you've never been allowed to own it yeah, yeah gentrification and getting priced out and just having the system be against you is an issue everywhere especially in obviously especially in georgia but that's true of any historic black neighborhood or any historic place that has a high population of black people it's just awful and yeah, Atlanta, thankfully, is America's Wakanda. And that's, I'm stealing a quote from Killer Mike for specific, those are not my words. Um, but I, I love that he always <laughs> says that. Um, because black futures matter. Damn it. Um, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so thank you. Yeah. Thank and you I mean, for it's expanding. Not just African Americans in, in Texas, though, it's Hispanic neighborhoods near North Side. Like, I, it's, any people of color it's just like oh yeah let's, it's cool we just run a freeway through them and they're still trying to do it in houston texas they're still fucking trying to do it and displace five to six hundred people because they're trying to text dot is trying to widen 45 they don't need to it's 26 fucking lanes but they're like no we need to make it wider because that's what helps with traffic <laughs> which has been proven time and time again that's not what helps traffic <laughs> More lanes just means just just like a big house, you'll find something to put in it eventually. That's a, oh, that's how it always yeah goes. yeah. My house feels cluttered and I had like nothing in here when I started. That's how it works. You start you start with barely anything, and then you decide to fill stuff out little by little. So yeah, collecting. <sighs> um, your favorite. All right. One final softball question for you. Uh, what are some of your favorite places in Georgia and why? <clears throat> of course, Ardman Farm. Um, let's see. Her, uh, I just, I love um, Savannah. No, Savannah. Go to Savannah. If you can get to Savannah, get your ass to Savannah. It is like if you've ever seen um, Garden of the Midnight, Gar Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Have you seen the movie? Yeah, it yeah, is what it is. It absolutely delivers. Like it is like spooky and romantic and old and beautiful and like all this shit and you can walk around like this is a concept that i never experienced in california like 
I'm sitting here with my glass of wine. I learned alcohol is culture here in the South. Like you have your cocktail, you do everything with a cocktail. People are like, you can't have alcohol there. They're like, what? <laughs> this is not a party then. Like, it's just like every season is fantastic. Don't go, don't go there during St. Patrick's Day, though. It's a shit show. Don't go there during St. Patrick's Day. And that's from a local, you know, but, um, it's usually anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. Yeah. But especially there, um, like Forsyth Park is fantastic. The Cotton Exchange building super rad. Um, they have great food the river. It's really cool. Bonaventure Cemetery is really beautiful. Like, if you want to get a sense of Savannah, watch Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, and it really is unchanged. And um, so that's one of my favorite, like, cities in Georgia. Uh, Georgia is, like, naturally beautiful. Like, we might not have cool-ass mountains like California does, but we have more waterfalls. Like California's mountains suck compared to the pacific northwest the pacific northwest has some pretty good mountains and then a lot of other oh, places yeah. have really better mountains than even seattle and every other place yeah because you have like colorado and shit like that but like, yeah there's other parts of the, the, the water, country that there's just... like a ton of waterfalls here like huge ones even like Tallulah, my dog is named after one of them Tallulah gorge which is supposedly Cherokee roughly translated for terrible which makes sense because it's like a terribly large gore like terrible but she is also terrible which she's quiet I wonder if she's dead (laughs) don't say that (laughs) I was just gonna say the what you name your pets they usually take on that personality I name ghost ghost and he screams and then crow likes to perch so they're both both my cats are aptly named but yeah 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 and they are, I think cats can be like dogs where they're like their owners. Yeah. I Tallulah, at first I was like, she's not really like me. And then as we kind of like grew together, I was like, God, I'm crazy. It's like, <laughs> but I'm the same way as she is. I'm like, oh God. Yeah, we're <laughs> fucking weirdos together. I love it. As it should be. I love it. Okay. Yeah, um, I've really fallen in love with Middle Georgia where I live, um, and Macon is like um, a preservationist n- dream and also worst nightmare. So I have like a love hate relationship with it, um, but I do recommend coming because it's amazing. Like the art here, the Almond Brothers are from here, y'all. Like um, I live right down the street from the Almond Brothers house. It's a museum. You should go. It's actually pretty cool. Um, but peaches are in middle Georgia. Like there are centennial peach farms. They've been farms for over a hundred years. Dickie's farm is like 20 minutes from my house and it is so cool. You can watch them packing peaches and they're like, like, I mean, they're the best peaches I've ever had in my life. Well, of course, that's the way it should be. Yeah. And like, it's just like cool. Like it's, I love rural Georgia. Um, but not everybody loves like rural stuff. Atlanta is badass. I mean, if you're a city person, Atlanta is really badass. Like the Beltline is really cool. It's an old um, railroad that like goes around the entire city that you can like walk and bike. And there's cool breweries and shit all around there. Like I think people think like my stupid aunt 
who was like, oh, impoverished. I'm like, Delta Hub. Like, think of a fucking company and it's literally out of Atlanta. Like, no, it's not impoverished. You're crazy. Like, I mean, yeah. it's the land of, of Dixie Champagne. Coca-Cola. And Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. You know they say it Coca-Cola here. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, I learned that's like some deep, deep Southern shit that I just learned about Coca-Cola. <laughs> love it. I love it. Well, Caitlin, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Uh, is there anything yeah. that you'd like to plug before we leave social media sites or cool things happen in your life or final parting words, okay. perhaps? Let's see. Um, if you're watching this, uh, you are a preservationist and you think your city is cool, likely because of the old buildings in it. You don't realize it. Cause I had a friend that I took to Savannah from California, also from Northern California, the superior side of California. Um, and she asked me why everybody goes to Savannah. And I was like, the buildings, dude. Like, if you didn't have these buildings, if it was a bunch of strip malls and shit, nobody would come here. Like, and so you largely it's the built environment. And most of the time, the old buildings are not the problem. You are. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's somebody in the way, usually a developer or something like this. Like, you're a preservationist. It's sustainable. Preservation is a solution. I'm a zealot for preservation, right? So preservation to me is affordable housing, sustainability. Like every problem we have in society could be like solved using just the shit we already have. It's just recycling. Like, come on. We have plenty of housing. It's just not in good shape. So let's do modest rehabilitations and let people live in it affordably. Like there's affordable housing boom right there. Like it's being done, but on a very small scale, it's not popular because it takes a little bit extra time. Um, so you, we're all preservationists, especially if you care about the environment. And um, also because preservationists keep it up longer. Obviously. <laughs> your, your, your favorite inappropriate shirt. It's my that's favorite still, shirt. That, I love that's it. That's still work-related, A+. plus. Yeah, yes. And I love the swag. And then also I'm... Oh yeah, I'm the Preservation Peach on Instagram. Um, the Preservation Peach, the one, the only. Um, you must follow me and say what's up, and that you listen to this podcast because hey, I know you. But wait, I know you. But wait, I know you. I just I was saying like hey because you should say hey I know you because and I can be like oh I get it. It's all good. As long as you get to see I know you part, that's that's really all that matters. The wait is yeah. really just for an extra dramatic pause. So this is like the perfect podcast to merge all these random people that you seem to like know. I love it. Yeah, well, I'm there's people I don't know or people that I barely know, but the point is is that um, this this whole experience <laughs> is it's a combination of either exposing people to my friendship with others or like my relationship oh. to them and the way that we talk to each other and so on and so forth. Because, uh, I mean, maybe you can relate to this, but there's some friends that, you know, that you're friends with that other people might know, but they don't have the same relationship with those people. And if oh. they saw how you are together in private, then maybe yeah. they have a different opinion because you're having a conversation that only the two of you are having and i think yeah. that context is special and so 
I really enjoy talking to people either, even if I know them, have known them for many, many years, or if I barely know them. Um, I usually know a little bit about them at a bare minimum because obviously I have to do my research. Um, but I really enjoy just, you know, exploring who they are because you're the shining star of the podcast. Whoever the, my next guest is, you're my shining star. And this week, maybe it's you. Um, you're the best yeah. facilitator ever. Mm, I try. <laughs> well, thank you for that compliment. Uh, and with that, everybody else, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks for a, a lovely 2021 in podcasts. Uh, I might take a break after Caitlin's episode, but thank you. Thank you for all the awesome podcasts in 2021. We'll catch you next time. Happy New Year.